This is the Defenders podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Secret Invasion, Episode 3, Betrayed. Have you forgotten how we fight? Do you think I'm going to let you continue this war under the cover of anonymity? You're very much mistaken. I'm going to tell every army on Earth who it is that's attacking them. You'll lose the element of surprise. You and your rebels will be put down like the rabid dogs you are. Then you'll be the author of our people's extermination. That's where you're wrong, because you see, they will see the difference between us because we will show them we who haven't been infected by your sickness so then Gaia stays with me then is it now until the end of time my daughter's name stays out of your mouth Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to the Defenders podcast on TV Podcast Industries. And we're talking about Secret Invasion, Episode 3, Betrayed, the third of this six-episode series slash season. Yes, I am one of your hosts, Chris. I am your other host, Derek. Yes, much like Will Smith, we have Talos telling the main body to keep that damn name out of his mouth. Yes, we have an Oscars moment, depending <laughs> yes, on whether it's Oscars worthy or just an Oscars slap. Who knows? It was an amazing scene, Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, wow. Um, you know, for a guy that seems pretty placid and pretty fun to hang around with, he can certainly do uh, aggressive uh, when he wants to. Awesome stuff. I go menacing. Menacing. Yes, definitely yeah. menacing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, you may notice, fellow defenders, we mm-hmm. are down. One of our hosts. That is because he has currently been abducted by <laughs> little green men, potentially to come back himself or as someone else. We will find out. Well, we just thought that as the cast of uh, Secret Invasion keeps shrinking every week, we should also <laughs> shrink the cast of the podcast as well. Uh, yes. Wow, keep uh, keep, by, mark, keep marking out those names on the uh, on the cast list. Definitely. By episode six, it's just going to be Samuel Jackson. Yeah, That's it. Then the whole show is just... No, we won't even hear to talk about it. It's just uh, Samuel Jackson. It'll just end with uh, Fury in space on uh, on Sabre staring out over an empty dead planet. Uh, yeah. I hope not. I hope he saves the day. That would be, be the hope of an MCU show. But you never know. This show's pretty dark. Oh, and is it? We're going to talk all about how dark it is because this is the Defenders podcast, and we will have a spoiler-filled review discussion mm-hmm. of this. If you haven't checked us out and this is your first time, you've got two episodes on this season to listen to already, so pop on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and check it all out. You can also leave us a voicemail there and get your feedback read out on this show as well. If you want that, you can just email it to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com dot com or head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industry where we have a spoiler post each and every episode you can just leave your thoughts there and we'll read it out Mm -hmm. but make sure you subscribe make sure you download make sure you like make sure you rate make sure you do all those things because it helps 
get the word out there and make sure you share it with your friends and family who are watching the show because sharing the podcast is what Derek it is sharing the love of course yes. We have so much to discuss. I'm uh-huh. rushing through because I, there is a number of key points I want to get into in this episode and discuss with you because we haven't got John. Uh-huh. And it means we have a bit more time to have a one-on-one. Exactly. It's like an old-school geek-off. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump into the episode details. I'm going to have to pause you, Chris, really quickly because I know some of our fellow defenders, our fellow uh, industrialists, our fellow listeners are waiting for our coverage of The Witcher. I just have to quickly call out that our Witcher podcast has been slightly delayed. Uh, part of the reason John isn't around at the moment uh, not feeling well uh, just a little cold it's grand summer colds are annoying as hell as everybody knows uh, but we will be back we'll be covering the first three episodes of uh, of season three of the witcher uh, coming up uh, over the course of the next week so we will be catching up we're sorry that it's not out we had promised that we'd have our first episode out within the last week but it just didn't happen so i wanted to just call that out thanks very much for waiting it will be out very soon though yes thank you so much you fellow listeners and industrialists I would be there with you. Unfortunately, my own little Siri, mm-hmm. uh, in this case, Miles, is taking up 99.9% of my time. Yep. I get one podcast a week, <laughs> and I have decided to be this one. So, I will be back for more as he grows, and you will hear more of my dulcet tones. Exactly. But until that time, you will make do with the better half of this podcast. Derek and John. Yes, <laughs> but I'm we combining will... them into one. It's yes. a Derek and John. One. It's like salt and pepper. You know? the... It's just one group. Yeah, like my hair, salt and pepper. Uh, <laughs> but, but we do have you for hopefully uh, all of Secret Invasion, which is great. So, yes. uh, but you were right. You were you were kicking us off with uh, getting into the episode, Chris. Yes. So, Derek, do you want to tell us who gave us what, where, when, and how on this episode? Absolutely. The executive producers for Secret Invasion are, of course, Kevin Feige, Jonathan Schwartz, Louis Desposito, Brad Winderbaum, Samuel L. Jackson, Ali Salim, Kyle Bradstreet, and Brian Tucker. The head writer for the show is Kyle Bradstreet, and all episodes of the series are directed by Ali Salim. Uh, this episode, once again, uh, written by Brian Tucker, uh, and this time along with Roxanne Pardee. Roxanne is an executive producer on the show, and this is her first episode credit. Uh, previously, she worked with head writer Kyle Bradstreet on Mr. Robot, but was also interestingly, an artist working on Pixar and worked on movies including Brave and Cars 2. Wow, that's a that's a, a, a leap. Kind of cool. In a good way. I, like, yeah. this is a good episode, well, spoilers, but mm-hmm. like, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, it's kind of cool, isn't it? It's a, it's a fun uh, broadening of her career, uh, going going back to the time working on Pixar movies back in, uh, I think Brave is 2012, so it's a long, a long time ago, but, uh, but that's quite cool. Yeah, a veteran of the industry. Mm-hmm. Chris, in John's absence, do you want to give us the synopsis that I pulled and adjusted from Wikipedia this week? In my best John impression, sure. Gravik reveals to the Skrull Council that he intends to create Super Skrulls using the collected foreign DNA, and that he has sent some of the rebels to infiltrate the Royal Navy in order to launch missiles at United Nations aircraft. Gravik later meets with Talos to negotiate a parlay, but discussions break down when Gravik threatens to kill Talos' daughter Gaia. But Gaia secretly sends Talos information about the attack while Fury meets with him and pleads to work together again. Fury contacts Sonya Fallsworth and learns the name of the Naval Commander Headquarters Officer in Charge, Commodore Robert Fairbanks. Fury and Talos arrive at Fairbanks' home and interrogate him, 
But the Commodore provokes Talos to kill him. With the clock ticking, Talos contacts his undercover daughter to retrieve Fairbanks' authorization code from his real body, allowing them to abort the launch just in time. Guy attempts to run away, but is spotted by Gravik, who reveals his plan hasn't failed. He had always intended to find the mole within his organization. With Guy revealed as the betrayer, Gravik shoots and kills her. Meanwhile, Fury's wife, Priscilla, secretly receives a call from an unknown person's and after retrieving a weapon from a secure location, she's given a mission from a recognisable voice on the phone. She asks to speak to Gravik, but the voice denies her request. Excellent. Well done, Chris. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good job. I like it. I'm doing my best, John. Yeah. I hope it was. I hope he approves. <laughs> it, was of- pretty, it was pretty impressive. Thank you, thank you. So, let's jump into our case notes for this episode. As always, we're going to go top five case points, and we're going to start with our first, which is the one and only Fearing His Wife, Farah, slash Priscilla. He's a married man. Mm -hmm. Like, Fury has a wife, and it's not like one of the comic book ones, or someone we can go, oh, well, back in issue, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Secretly, she's like, no, 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 it's a scroll. And he knows she's a scroll, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, it's it. There's a lot to discuss here, Derek. There certainly start is. Start us the bidding. There certainly is. I'll, I'll I'll jump in really quickly with a little comics knowledge. Uh, Nick Fury's never been married. Uh, he proposed to oh. uh, Pamela Hawley in issue eight of Sergeant Fury and His Helen Commandos, and Pamela Hawley died, and he never ever uh, married again. And On issue did- nine? <laughs> nope, never ever married again. So no, um, no, she died in issue nine, or is it at least like she died in issue eight? Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. he was going to her to propose marriage, and then uh, he'd never uh, proposed again to anybody else. So he was he became his uh, philandering uh, James Bond-like self from that point onwards, always hooking up and never marrying. There you go. Wow. So there, there you go. go. So he's never married, um, but he does have a son, uh, and he does have a, a long-term partner. But that was it. Um, but yes, interestingly, this is kind of following on from last week's episode. Um, there were questions which we all kind of had uh, sidestepped last week. There seemed to be questions in the way the episode was structured as to whether Nick knew that his wife was a scroll. Was she replacing his real wife or not? Uh, we kind of gone, well, no, we, we could see that that's Vara uh, from earlier on in the episode. Um, so confirmed here that uh, Fury's fully aware that his wife is a scroll. And we see where they their relationship first kicked off in flashback here, right? We see it back in uh, in 1998, um, a year after the uh, the meeting last week. So um, I really like that scene when he goes to the coffee shop to meet Vara. Um, of course, he's not going to recognize, uh, and she's not going to be sitting there looking like a scroll. But a great moment for where Fury's kind of going, I'm here to meet somebody. Not really too sure exactly what she looks like. Um, so uh, I don't know how he intended to find her. Uh, they they should have had some kind of code word at least, or at least said, I'm going to be in booth number one. Um, but I, I really like that moment. And I like that she's um, taken on this face, uh, knowing that it's beautiful to Fury. So obviously there was already a spark in the relationship between the two of them beforehand. Yeah, I have so many questions. Okay. On the, like, in that... Are they biological questions? Because I don't have any of those questions. I'm, not, I'm going no, to leave well, that like, to just no, the series. <laughs> when, when, when an alien loves a man uh-huh. <laughs> and they give each other a special hug. Mm-hmm. No, um, no, more just like the character of Nick Fury it, from the MCU, okay? Mm-hmm. is always been that stoic man. And we get more and more of this episode. We get kind of how he feels, mm-hmm. like, like who he is. And we also get this back and forth kind of piece from Fury and Talos where they talk about who did what and the history of 
Nick Fury. And I suppose for me, this is kind of fleshing out a character who, and I mean no disrespect because mm-hmm. I know Fury is one of your favorites, has always been a bit one dim- not one-dimensional, but not multifaceted yeah. to the nth degree. He's just very much, he's the man 10 steps ahead. He's He's got plans within plans within plans. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen him as a man needing uh, stability and teams and people yeah. and attachments. And I think what we're getting here is an MC version where it's, no, no. So he's had a wife mm-hmm. since like 1998. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, no, he's had a girlfriend maybe since yeah. like a few weeks after 1998. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's theoretically as well, his significant rise to the, the, the leader of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. and now potentially one of the heads of Sabre, leader of Sabre. Mm-hmm. We don't know the full kind of bit there. Um, has all, has been down to his usage of scrolls. Well, yes, yes, to a degree. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll talk about that as we as we go through yes, the rest later. of the points with with Talos. Um, with his wife here, it's a really interesting development, and I think that's the benefit of having the TV show. You know, as as I'll say repeatedly, Nick Fury is my favorite character. Not my yeah. not not one of my favorites. It is literally my favorite character. If you look at the, my set of comic books, I'd say eighty percent of them have Nick Fury in the comics, and are the reason I bought those comic books. So while I say I'm a comic book fan, I'm a Nick Fury fan, and I'm also a comic fan. Yeah. And so what has been the failing almost of the MCU for me is. Nick Fury's great. Samuel L. Jackson, amazing actor. He comes in for five minutes. He makes a mark on every movie that he's been in, every moment that he's been, appeared on screen. But you're right. There has been no backstory. You don't know anything about him. And that's the benefit of the comic books. You do know loads about the character from the 60 years he's appeared in comic books. Interestingly, there's a great uh, interview between uh, John Favreau and... Uh, and uh, Kevin Feige a couple of months ago uh, for the 50th anniversary of Iron Man. And they said their best decision they ever made was casting Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Second best decision they ever made was casting Samuel L. Jackson as exposition dropper Nick Fury. You bring in Samuel L. Jackson, he gives the exposition. He's such a cool character. It's a perfect way to deliver 15 years of the MCU, right? Deliver it through this character that has no backstory, but he knows everything. And now... We have a, a series giving this backstory. And it's so interesting the way they've done it. The, the great discussion between Priscilla and Fury when they have, uh, they, you know, they reconnect. He spends the night uh, with her, gets up the following day, having breakfast with her, and has this really interesting discussion about how much he's changed and how much she's changed because of what's happened with Fury. Yeah. I think that's a great conversation. Um, she talks about how much she mourned him being gone for five years. And the fact that she completely understands this is his job. If Nick Fury has to go away again after those five years, Nick Fury goes away. But the fact that he chose to leave and then chose not to come back to her is what broke her, is what broke their relationship and what changed her. And what I thought was really interesting is the phrasing from her saying, I became who I was before Fury. Not just I became myself, but I became who I was before I met Nick Fury. So... Interesting, that explains why she's now turned to Gravik's side by the end of the episode. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So this was the bit where he, him not coming back, she was okay to marry Fury, the man, mm-hmm. the myth, the legend, <laughs> because he would go, but yeah. he'd always come back. Exactly. Here he chose not to. Here he chose, and we're getting, we've had two good dumps of this in exposition where he's like, he has sat up in the space station. For 
four to five, four to five years yeah. since the blip. Since that, so he was gone five. Mm-hmm. Now he then he's disappeared for four to five since Something coming like back. That. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure like, that I, maths doesn't it doesn't add up. That can't be right. But it's about it's it's a couple yeah, of years. It's about three years, it's isn't it? Something three like that. to four. Like they, this is where it's getting interesting because it's yeah. just trying to get a bit wishy washy. They keep saying this is one of the latest in the MCU chronological. Hundred percent is yeah. But yeah, where that is current day versus the blip we. It's still a bit wishy-washy, but it's close. let's say three, between three and four and a half years. Yeah, in, in MCU years, it's twenty twenty-five at the moment. That's in in, yeah. uh, in Secret Invasion, so that's why roughly we're adding up to about eight or nine years total from when the original snap happened. Let's say, but that yeah. that doesn't match up to real time. That's that's why it's a little bit confusing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, and so for me, this is getting more and more interesting. So maybe he is broken. Like mm. maybe this isn't the. What I had talked about previously, which mm-hmm. is he wants, it was the, the great deception, the great fury deception. Yeah. He wants everyone to think he's broken so his master plan can come. Because if that's the case, he essentially committed Harry Carey on his own marriage in order to be three steps ahead of a thing and turn his own wife potentially into a, <laughs> into an agent for his target. Mm. So I now am more and more believing, no, no, fury is a broken man. Like, and we're seeing that as well in that he's not the, throughout this later episode, and we'll get to more of what happens throughout the later bit. What I'm seeing is it's causing ruptures in not just his methodology, but his actions and his, like, he's leaning on the violence. And then when someone else leans on the violence, he goes, oh, whoa, hold on. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. He, I think he's misjudging where he used to be that kind of, Super spy, the mm. ultimate man who knew everything that was going to happen before it happened. Well, yeah, it, it's also he's not as dependable as he was in the past because yeah. he doesn't have those connections. He doesn't have the knowledge that he had in the past. The separation because of the snap has uh, has meant that he isn't the person in charge here twice in this episode. And um, again, we'll talk about them. But twice in this episode, he apologizes to people to get their help. That's not Nick Fury. People help Nick Fury because he helps them because he's the man in charge and because he knows everything. Nick is on the back foot with a lot of people here. Um, yeah, this is the story, I think, of how Nick Fury gets back to where he where he was, I suppose, to get back his confidence. And we'll definitely talk about that later on. Um, anything else on Vera or Priscilla uh, that you want to talk about? And that uh, at least that opening scene between Fury and, and her no, I, I think that's it, because we will come back to the, the end scene later. Yeah. I think we can discuss that bit rather than now. But no, for, I think for now, case number one is wrapped. Okay. Should we I, move on? The only thing I just oh. want to say is just I do find it really confusing that they have her as Vara as a squirrel, Priscilla as um, as a human. Uh, Nick asks the question as to where did, where did she, get, she get that face from? And she doesn't answer. She just kind of says, yeah, yeah, and passes it off. <laughs> but I'm no longer working for you, so we can have a relationship, basically, is, is what she says. But uh, who is Priscilla? Where did she take uh, that skin from, effectively? Um, and also, I find, I find it might be confusing to the audience that uh, Fury also reduces her name down to Scylla a few times. So it may be really confusing as to what her actual name is. <laughs> it's not really said very often in the show. But Farrah as a scroll. Priscilla as as a human is uh, is how she's presenting herself. So there you go. The one thing I'll just add to that, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll get to our do we trust later. Yeah. But the question I'll have is whether because she is 
bad, potentially, quote-unquote, for Gravik, which said in her synopsis. We'll talk about it, um, yeah. Is Priscilla sitting in somewhere? Mm. Is she a bodied, a body somewhere underground yeah, maybe. for the last 30 20 years, years yeah. just aging, and her memories have been downloaded? Mm. That's going to be one where I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, he married, like... That's almost like Fury marrying Hydra. Yeah, absolutely. Like, level of badness. Or did she so pop over to, to Canada that. and just copy a beautiful face and uh, and come home and keep that face? Or did she yeah. see it in a magazine and, and Fury happened to like the face or something? Uh, you never you never know. We we'll, we'll, yeah. might see that in the future. Good stuff. Yeah, let's get, let's get on to case note number two. Uh, first of our big discussion moments from the episode, really. Um, Talos and Gravik and their parlay. I loved this scene. I love oh, these moments. This. You know, if there's one episode so far this season that's been Ben Mendelsohn's episode, it's this episode. He gets some great moments. But Gravik sitting down with Talos, with all that that entails, everything behind him, the suspicion he has about about Gaia, uh, all of that playing out, the fact that this was the former general of the Skrull army on Earth, and he's now taken over his position, and he's been and uh, Talos has been kicked out of the council. All of that plays in really well. I think the two of them going head to head in this moment is just fantastic. Yeah, no, I agree. For me, the the opening of this when they're in the the museum and they're looking at that that portrait mm-hmm. of Churchill and everything, and this the big speech from Kingsley, uh, who plays Gravik mm, from World War One. Yeah, yeah, like just really leaning into that detest. Mm-hmm. And like as an actor, like he's here, he's bringing he's bringing the chops. Because to be fair, Gravik as a character so far up until potentially where he's sitting in the, the school council, mm-hmm. he's just that stoic bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's the big bad. Like like here, he really you're seeing this contempt for generals versus leaders versus followers Mm -hmm. or leaders versus kind of politicians and generals versus like that real kind of i'm the man out there bleeding yeah well you sit in your ivory tower and get a portrait absolutely yeah um and i kingsley benadir for me this is where he became a standout actor like Mm -hmm. a standout character really because he really lent into the graphic yeah and i was like oh my god this is fantastic absolutely Cut to three minutes later, mm-hmm. where Ben Mendelsohn as Talos is basically whipping the carpet out from him mm-hmm. uh, with get my daughter's name out of your mouth mm-hmm. type of... And I'm like, oh. And you were right when you said it. Like, Ben Mendelsohn has been not comic relief, but he's mm. a more comedic kind of funny bits as we have seen him yeah. throughout the kind of MCU so far. Yeah. I also think in general, Ben Mendelsohn, it seems like a very fun guy to hang out with. He seems like yes. a very relaxed, chilled Australian, seems to be, uh, seems, just seems to be a fun guy in general. So seeing him in this scene here is, is really good. Like he is a fantastic actor, of course, but seeing him and get these, this meaty kind of scene, uh, with Gravik was fantastic. Um, yeah. one thing also we want to call out is that moment with Gravik and the members of the council that he brings in, um, to, home base effectively to show them his plan to show them that effectively 
he's going to make a major play on the world, which could draw in the superheroes and confirms what we all had suspected, that he's creating Super Scrolls. Even calls it out by name um, here in the episode. But he's creating Super Scrolls um, so that they can defend against the potential uh, threat from uh, from super-powered humans, effectively. So yeah. uh, that was that was a really interesting moment. But he's going full scorched earth. He's going for oh, yeah. wipe out every human on the planet and then we will take we will take it for ourselves and it's interesting because we did get the drop then they yeah even if they go nuclear the nuclear option if yeah. they're going to be fine because nuclear radiation does not affect squirrels exactly so he's like yeah fine this is like let's go nuclear let's destroy everything and take it from there mm-hmm. yeah and a little reveal in that moment um in the uh the battle between Talos and Gravik, the verbal battle at least, um, Talos stabs Gravik through the hand. And uh, did you notice that Extremis. it seems like he already has Extremis um, attached to yeah. him? So he's already used, it seems at least, that he's used the machine to uh, to make himself into the first of the Super Scrolls. Um, so giving him the ability to reform his hand after pulling it through the knife. That's a brutal looking scene as well. It's very, uh, yeah. very uh, a, a cringy scene. I uh, find it difficult to watch him uh, pull his hand through the knife, but uh, but then seeing it heal afterwards. So yeah, so that, that seems to be, while he is promising that every scroll is going to have superpowers it looks like he's already tested it on himself and given himself powers yeah so we did see that it's going to be colosidian the frost beast um extremis and groot mm-hmm. before that we had seen so probably there'd be one secret one in there as well so that's essentially strength healing kind of kind of stretchiness if you will yeah. groot and the frost beast we're not quite sure but mm-hmm. Something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, all, we'll and also it. fire from Extremis. So as we said last week, oh, yes. like like the Fantastic Four, uh, the original um, templates for the Super Scrolls. So uh, so very cool. Uh, another moment in the scene, I know it was in the trailer, but it looks so much better in the scene uh, as every single person in the cafe where they're having this um, parlay turns into a version of Gravik. I just thought that was really cool. The minute he's threatened, every single person around turns into Gravik. That's really cool. I know... It probably would have cost a hell of a lot of money to turn them all into scrolls, um, because that costs a lot more than get getting Kingsley Benadir to play all of them. But it's still an exceptional looking scene. It looks fantastic. It looked amazing, mm-hmm. and like just as a scene. And this is the one where I wish they hadn't shown it in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. Because of this, and because of my general nerdism, I'm always going to watch trailers for these right. types of things. Yeah. I'm, I love them. I, I'm never going to go in completely cold because I'm like, I can't. I can't help myself. Uh-huh. It's, it's, I'm like a junkie with the MCU and <laughs> the comics and things. But uh, it's just one more hit. Yeah. Uh, I wish this wasn't in, and this was the thing because I knew as soon as they were in that cafe, I was like, okay, this is where it happens. Mm. So the only. My only ask in the future to K E V I N um, <laughs> is twist it. If you do what you did before in yeah. some of the times, which is if you're going to do show something from the tra- in a trailer, t- change the scene slightly so yeah. it still is somewhat fresh. Because I would have liked that if they had it changed, like everyone into graphic and then everyone into Talos, like just to really mess yeah. with them. Yeah. Like that would have been cool. Yeah. But I know, I understand, like, it's money, and this is... Well, yeah, they want to get people to watch the show. But uh, I have to say there was a great comment when the trailers were being released where it was like, if this is the stuff they're putting in the trailer, imagine what they're actually putting in the show, (laughs) you know? Uh, And and I do think the twist on this is, you know, you'd expect that Talos being faced off with um, 
well, 20 graphics, uh, you'd expect yeah. that he'd be running out of there. But actually, the scene twists into him um, knifing Gravik in the hand and then grabbing him by the throat. And he could have killed him right there. You know, yeah. it was, I'm willing to put my life on the line, even if everybody else here is a scroll and is going to kill me after I kill you. I'm willing to kill you if you do anything to my daughter, which ha- will have ramifications, I guess, uh, in future episodes, right? Um, do you think they missed the beat there? In what way? Like, if you kill him and then it turns out that it was, you've made him stronger. Like, that actually graphic wasn't the big bad. There's someone above graphic. Mm-hmm. Like, just to completely mess things up. Like, I was just, I was like, oh, well, why didn't he just kill Gravik there? Because it was a parlay, and I suppose kind of Talos is a man of his word. I think that's where my head went. Yeah, he wa- it wasn't there to threaten and kill Gravik. Yeah. Yeah, he was to get information about how, about getting his daughter back, um, was the conversation they were supposed to be ha- having, but it ended off. Gravik didn't want to talk about that at all. So, yeah, he just wants um, to. Yeah, the threat from from Gravik as uh, as to he should feel lucky that uh, Gaia hasn't been returned in a body bag um, already. It was a significant threat to Talos there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting. But I know we've talked about this a few times, and I've been completely wrong on my predictions so far in this season. But I don't think there is somebody above Gravik. I think Gravik is the young upstart that has yeah. got, for for a terrible turn of phrase, he has got a bee in his bonnet about humans now. He's really, really angry at what's happened to him, the way Skrulls have been treated, and him yeah. being the young upstart that's taking over what Skrulls are, are, mean, are meant to do on this planet. They're meant to be helpful. They're meant to be useful. They're meant to blend in, but they're being treated poorly. And his reaction to that is what's causing this invasion, effectively, is what's causing the uprising. So I don't think it's someone above him telling him what to do. I think it's his momentum that's coming from yeah. his feelings of betrayal that are leading him to to be the big bad here. So, And I think his motivations are just, again, that conversation about the painting where the leaders sit back get paintings done on themselves, the warriors go on the field and, and uh, cover the field in blood. I'd much rather have my name written in blood than in a painting like this. I think that's evidence that he is the real leader. I agree. Yeah. I like, it's just, for me, it's the, what, where do you go now? Because mm-hmm. we understand that character. Yeah. And I, I want that character to have a bit more depth mm-hmm. other than a pissed off scroll. Okay. Like, I, there has to be, what what was his, we know his, well, I'm going to say, we know, quote unquote, his origin, mm-hmm. but there's going to be a bit more to it. There's going to be that inevitable kind of uh, graphic fury face off. Absolutely. And there's going to be a conversation which we're going to find out where, like, fury sits down and just kind of, again, with kind of graphic goes, I'm going to help you. I, you're my son. I think I, call, I said that like, like, but like that kind of thing. Hmm. And it, he's so butthurt about <laughs> Fury messing things up hmm. that he's projecting it onto the, the human race because all humans are detestable like yeah. Fury. Like that's the only other bit because at the moment he's a bit, I, I don't want to say one note. Hmm. We need that next level layer, um, in my opinion, but maybe. I will get completely proven wrong <laughs> by the end of this and go, no, think, it was just perfect. But. Yeah, I think there's three more episodes to go, of course, and, and we've seen the development now. We know mm. why he is what he is. I think I think what 
um, I'd probably agree with the question, why did he wait from 1997? Yeah, okay, I waited 10 years and nothing ever happened. And then I waited another 10 years and nothing happened. And then Fury disappeared. Didn't know he was coming back. So Fury disappeared from the five years. What was happening during all of those periods and what pushed him over the edge now to become the leader to take over from uh, from Talos? And it could easily be that it could be something that Talos did um, that meant that they weren't getting a home uh, and he felt that they needed a home uh, so they could live in their own skin. Right. So uh, it could have been that. So let's let's see how that plays out as the rest of the season goes on. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100 percent. So we move on to case number three. Absolutely. Here we get Talos. And Fury going to fight a good old Bob. Hmm. No, not your Dr. Bob Phillips. <laughs> no, no. Commodore Robert Fairbanks. Yes. I do um, I do like the Fury goes for it goes and immediately calls him Bob uh, in, his, yeah. in his head. He's like, I'm not saying that. <laughs> no way I'm ever going to say Commodore Robert Fairbanks. I will call him Bob uh, from now on. Um, but yes, first Fury and, and Talos have to uh, rekindle their friendship. Um, nice little moment as uh, as Talos is uh, eating breakfast and Fury tries to get his help without asking for his help. Obviously, something that's worked many times before uh, with Talos. He'll he's the two of them are really close. Uh, Fury knows he needs Talos's help, but won't ask him for it. And he's made to apologize and made to tell Talos he would be nothing without him. Yeah. Mm, which leads further on to. Uh, the conversation about uh, about never understanding dogs and their relationship to humans. Um, I like this because if they had a better relationship, Talos probably would have laughed at the joke uh, that Fury uh, makes about, oh, I've always cleaned up after you uh, for the last 30 years. Talos would have just laughed that off. But because their relationship is kind of a bit shaky, uh, Talos takes the opportunity to uh, to push back against Fury and tell him that if it wasn't for them, Fury would still be a pen pusher in uh, in what level six, I guess, of uh, of shield. Yeah. So, how do you see that? This is the one I was like, oh, this is either going to be really fun for you, or it's going to be mm. great on you. Uh, so, I want to know what do like knowing what you know about mm-hmm. Fury, comic book versus MCU, and seeing where Fury was in Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Um, I don't, I actually, I rewatched it, uh, today. Uh, I think I've watched the episode three times now. Rewatched that conversation specifically today. Um, I know the Nick Fury character hasn't had as much development as the comic book character. So the comic book character completely different. He didn't have any connection with scrolls. There was no development that way. So I can see how an argument can be made from Talos here that Nick has only moved up levels or has only gotten the information, but there is more to Nick Fury than just threatening people with information. <laughs> There's more to Nick yeah. Fury than knowing secrets. There's how he implements them. And what Taylor's actually says to him afterwards is nobody's questioning how good and effective you are, but also don't put me down for my contribution to your career and to what we are. We're partners. We do it together is what Taylor's is really saying. He's not just saying that, if it wasn't for us, you'd be back doing nothing. He's yeah. he's respecting the fact that Fury got there in some senses on his own, but also he would never have gotten to the levels that he got to if the two of them were partnered together. So it's more about the partnership of the two of them rather than um rather than you'd be nothing without me. I think that's I think that's where I landed on that conversation. So I'm fine with it. If I thought it was they were saying Nick Fury is only where he is because of uh, because of uh, the scrolls, I'd be. Um, a little less happy. 
but they're not. <laughs> there you go. That's my um, answer. I enjoyed this. I, I had to say, like, this for me makes me, again, I talked about how we're getting more of the origin story of the mm-hmm. MCU kind of fear year. And like, he, he was the king of secrets. Yeah. And he was like, as we talked about the Game of Thrones and the little finger with his sparrows, mm-hmm. or the, sorry, the, the, the other, the other character with his sparrows. Um, here we see, yeah, no, Fury had hundreds of scrolls working for him. Um, implementing, kind of doing his bidding and being his net, his, his kind of network of eyes and ears gathering those secrets. And he was the man that, yeah, I understand he wasn't just threatening people with secrets, but like, yeah, I can see an argument here where like, no, to, to a degree, like, Fury, they helped launch Fury's career. What he did with those secrets now mm. is what makes Fury Fury. But I can see part of it as well. Um, and I agree with you now, but like, it's, they were more trying to get to, well, we are, we, we, this is a partnership. Yeah. So I think what we will see future is, that's going to play and stay with Fury and we'll come back, which is like, no, no, okay, well, what do you want to do? A hundred percent. I think that's where this conversation starts from. Yeah, a hundred percent. There's an interesting um, little parallel to the conversation that was going on between Talos and Gravik, where Talos is saying to Gravik, don't push humans because when you push a human, that's when they get their back against the wall and when they observe a connected threat, a, 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 an overarching threat, they will push back against you. That's when you'll see their th- their true selves. Yeah. I think what's happening in this episode is Fury seeing other people tell him he's not good enough, tell him he hasn't done what he feels he's achieved. And I think he'll push back against that. I think he will um, work with other people better. And I think he will be the center of the show by the end of the show it will be fury's show right i think he's going to i think he's going to take his moment um because he does have he does have those powers himself he is the central character of that story right and he is he is the one that uh that has gotten them to this point if they'd met another person in shield um back in 1996 I don't think they would have gotten themselves to director. It's how he used that information and how he worked with them. Another interesting thing to underline as well. Um, Talos says here, it was me and those 17 people, those 17 other scrolls. Those were the only people working with Nick Fury on Earth. That puts into context having a million scrolls now on Earth. Okay, yeah. The difference between <laughs> Fury having... Um, Talos and the other 17 scrolls versus now a million on Earth who could be anybody and have learned from some of the people that Fury trained how to blend in and how to get information. You know, that's the kind of scale we're talking about here. Now, even more than just that moment on the train last week where uh, Fury freaks out about a million people, that puts it into even more context why he would be freaking out. He knows what power comes from 17 scrolls in different positions. Now there's a million of them. You know? <laughs> uh, so you can kind of see a bit more that Fury would not have expected that kind of number. It's a, it's an impossible number to think of. Yeah. No, no. I actually heard several, not 17. Mm, 17. I just, so I was like several. Oh, I thought he just, I thought he was just being several means a hundred or something. No, he was yeah, quite specific I, I about kinda, the number. I yeah. just, I just 
assumed he didn't want to just name seven. Yeah, okay, that yeah. that changes things significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was basically that group in uh, in the room that we saw in 1996, yeah. and the occasional scroll that might have arrived during the time, but Fury was not expecting transports of hundreds of scrolls or thousands of scrolls. That was never uh, what he was expecting. So that was quite interesting. Um, But the other part of this, of course, is them resolving the conflict that's here, the Gravix uh, plan, or at least uh, intended plan, uh, to take down UN-1, the plane, um, from uh, from the submarine. Um, I didn't know there was a UN-1. I know, of of course, there was an Air Force one, but I didn't know there was a UN-1. You? No, neither did I, and I'm assuming it's just made up. Does it exist? <laughs> or yeah. do they just assume it does because there's an Air Force One? I'm assuming it's just like, hey, because everyone in America knows what Air Force One is. Well, right. globally, a lot of people know what Air Force yeah. One is, so, hey, make UN One and everyone gets why this would be uh, so bad. A big target. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like that they fix it. I like how mm-hmm. they do it. I like that they do threaten the sun and then put the sun away, and then Talos does his kind of go revert to his kind of less lethal kind of, he's just kind of his gentler side when he's there with the sun, mm-hmm. trying to give him some water, tell him to calm in the end reverts to violence. Yeah. When once again, guy is brought up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like That is his trick. <laughs> well, yeah. right. my daughter, take my daughter's name out of your mouth. Uh-huh. Cause I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. She is not like us or you. Um, so seeing him shoot, um, and again, up until that point, you don't know that she was the one, she was a double agent Mm -hmm. or triple agent now, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, or no, double. She's definitely a double because, yeah, she's a double agent. She's not triple yet. Yeah. Until, or quadruple. We'll wait and see. (laughs) Well, either way, she's dead. Doesn't matter. Well, we'll Uh, she's an ex agent. She's a parrot. She's no more. She's deceased. (laughs) I like, how that they this whole bit is that it's his trigger like if like if you push mm. talos to the limit and you bring him he's always going to revert to now the gentle general he's like less violence talk things through mm. but put his back against the wall threaten his family yeah he will he'll revert he'll shoot you in the chest yeah yeah. Um, I'm not sure if the sun, by the way, is a scroll or not. I, that's the one I couldn't be 100% in my head about. Yeah, I, I was wondering about that because if he's not a scroll and uh, his father has been replaced by a scroll, you threaten him, why is the scroll that's pretending to be his father reacting like it is his son? Yeah, it's a bit weird. I think because we learn later that his password is his son's name. Right, the password for yep. shutting down the program is his son's name, and he has the actual memories and experiences of the actual Commodore Robert Fairbanks. I think they're trying to say that there is a more of a connection there. Uh, he would be treating this kid as his son. He would have more of a connection than if it was just he'd just come in yesterday to replace uh, Robert Fairbanks. You know, I think that's yep. what they're trying to say here because uh, it does feel. I think actually have a little bit of feedback about that uh, later on. It does feel a little bit of a trope to walk into the room with the person's son, gun to the head, and they go, oh, okay, don't hurt them, you know. Um, But I kind of can see from that perspective, we've seen that they take on the memories and experiences. And if you've been in this role for a while, living with the kid, um, of course, you would have more uh, connection with them. So I thought that was, I I, I think it works that way. It works that way. No, it does. Yeah. But but also, and I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit when we get on to Gaia, um, 
also, you know, Telos is revealing here that he knows that uh, Gaia is working as a double agent and potentially he sent her into that situation. We know yeah. from the first episode he's recently lost his wife to Gravik and to that faction. And I'm sure at this point he's really feeling the tension of what's he done with putting his daughter in that position. And I suppose being told once again that he fell out of his position because he wasn't a good general, everybody knows that he's meeting and the scrolls are following Gravik and he's put his daughter in this really risky situation as people threaten her. He's probably taking a lot of responsibility as her father that he's put her in that in that um situation. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I suppose that's the the bit we're gonna. St- <laughs> I can't wait to the next. Re- this is the one where I really can't wait for next episode. Mm-hmm. This and I'm whole wondering <laughs> what happens when Talos finds out she's dead, mm-hmm. and whether she's dead or not. Question mark. That's yeah. that's a whole other thing. Well, I'm specifically yeah. just talking, and we'll talk about guy <laughs> getting killed and that yep. bit and Priscilla and like later. Yep. Talos as a character. Mm-hmm knowing that potentially his final actions here to stop the war, save the humans, yeah. has caused the death of his daughter. Mm-hmm. Which was already a trigger we've seen twice now in this episode. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's lost his wife. He's lost his daughter. Yeah. What happens next? And will Fury capitalize on that? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. make a... Because, again, Fury's not 100% firing on all cylinders. Will he misjudge, make a misjudgment and capitalize that and then turn the general back to the general? Yeah, where the ex-general becomes what he was before, mm. which we have heard Gravik talk about and the other skulls talk about of how much of a general he was. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I do think what they mean is he was a peacetime general and Gravik is now the wartime general. I don't think he was anything like Gravik. Uh, because he was leading them in a different, a different idea. Come down to Earth. Come join us. Make yourselves hidden, and you can live here. Um, the humans won't notice you're here. Uh, Gravik wants everybody to know they own the planet. Um, so I think I think they'll be they'll be different. Um, but you're right. Yeah, it's an interesting um, idea that he's effectively, as I said, he is obviously worried about his daughter being in the situation that he's in. But it's the last hope they have um, before they take out uh, UN one. Um, to get her to go to the original body of Commodore uh, Fairbanks and use the technology to go through his memories, like we saw in Captain Marvel when they were trying to reach through her memories, uh, use that technology to pull out this password. I um, thought that was really interesting because it did feel like he's he has no other choice other than to sacrifice Gaia. Yeah. And because he's working, was he fully back on board with Fury and fully back on board with protecting humans, he's willing to do that. It's really cool. It's going to be good. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. And it's one I hope they capitalize on. Mm-hmm. Really turn, bring Talos to the edge. Because yeah. I want, after seeing Ben Mendelsohn earlier with that scene with Gravik, mm-hmm. I want to see some more of that. I kind of do. I kind of don't because I feel yeah. if it happens next episode, that might be. Talos's exit from the show. <laughs> uh, it may be him going down in the blaze of glory, um, but we'll see. We'll see. Yes, that's, uh, that's speculation of what's of what's coming up. Um, let's get on to our fourth uh, case note. Um, yeah. Speaking of going down in a blaze of glory, mm. uh, Gaia is no more. 
Yes. Or is she? Or is she? Um, just my only suspicion is because we saw Gravik getting the knife through the hand and having Extremis um, heal his hand. Yeah. Um, I wonder if she has surreptitiously used the machine to give herself some kind of some of those powers. Um, but what they did do here, which they haven't done when they've hidden a death before, is we did see her change back into a scroll with Gravik standing over her body as she did so, which happens when scrolls are killed, as we've seen uh, each time. So that gives a moment of pause. She'd have to probably jump up pretty quickly um, and fight back against Gravik at the start of the next episode if she is still alive. Um, I don't think she'll just stay pretending to be a dead scroll on the ground and Gravik will just walk away and then she can run off. I don't think it's going to be like that, but we'll see. Um, yeah. But I just have a suspicion that she's not dead there. Yeah, same. I, I, I think it's because we've seen her in... We saw her in the, 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 the chamber where they are, mm-hmm. or were causing, or creating the Super Scrolls. Yeah. We saw her look through files and understand it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. My assumption is that they have. Also, it's Amelia Clark. Yeah. Means nothing, kind of means something. If yeah. you're going to turn her in, like again, um, you've got to think about the, the next generation so they can turn her into something, mm-hmm. a, a character for the, the MCU in the future. Yeah. Um, because of who she is, her star power, and also the potential if she becomes a super school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so for me, it, it, I don't think she is. Right. But a oh, whole oh boy, if, if she is, they are racking up the body count. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of people you just don't do not expect, and then like I'm like, so we've got Colby Smulders and now Mia Clark, so mm-hmm. we've had Maria Hill and now Gaia. Yeah, and and don't, if they are, and don't forget about Martin Freeman. Um, oh, Edward K. Martin Ross Freeman, and, yes. and the star, the opening of the of the yes. first episode. Any anybody's on the table, basically, is what that's saying. Right. And it does well. At least with Martin Freeman, we know he he was a scroll. Yeah. So we 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 know there is Ever there K. is an Ever K Ross somewhere out there, yes, exactly. But potentially with Gaia and Maria Hill, mm-hmm. they are they are now deceased. Yeah. They, they 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 as the characters are no more. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, comic books, no one's really dead. And if you if you want to, you can write them back. <laughs> yeah, there's always a way. Even if you see um, a body or a funeral, doesn't yeah. matter. Even Nick Fury doesn't matter. Potential had, had an entire yes. funeral that's spread across uh, across four comic book issues and uh, came back a bit two years later. So yeah. It happens exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be just. I'm. I'm. I'm interested to see. Yes. I do think they're just because they showed us extremis. I think that's what we're gonna get, which is like opening scene or a scene next episode or the episode after. Mm-hmm. We'll get her lying there, and you just get the the bullet wound being heated and graphics already driven off and you see the bullet wound heat up and heal and up she gets and yeah. she's away yeah that that would be um, really interesting but i know she's had to make and, and we talked about them throughout some of the other points but she had to make some really dangerous moves in this episode yes. to get information to uh to talos you know she's the one that revealed to him what the plan was from gravik by giving him the uh the burner phone uh, and try and, and changing into another another human to drop that off and then Running back to the car, uh, acting all nonchalant when Gravik came back out. But, um, but yeah, it's interesting what Gravik points out here. 
His plan was actually never to destroy UN1. His plan was to set all that up. If he did destroy UN1, okay, that's a part of a plan accomplished. But actually, it was to reveal, because the plan was such a big plan, it was to reveal who the mole was. He had suspected her, but didn't have uh, enough evidence to say definitely it's her. Um, One of the things that hasn't really come out, I don't think, in the show very, very well so far, is that relationship between Gravik and uh, Gaia. So while she is the daughter of the general and there is an issue between Gravik as a general and Talos, um, remember the two of them would have been, would have grown up together in Fury's group. Uh, he arrived about a year after she did from his home planet around the same age. Um, so I would suggest that they probably had a very good friendship. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he's slightly on the outs with her is because of his relationship with Talos. So I think there probably is a long, standing friendship between the two of them that turned sour at some point uh, as he took over control from where uh, from where Talos was. So I wish that kind of had played out a little bit more, but I think that's part of the reason why he stayed his hand and didn't kill her and didn't fully go with his suspicions that she was a traitor. Uh, I think yeah. that might have been part of the reason for that. Um, interestingly, there's a, there's a phone call early on in the episode, and we'll get on to the other half of this now. There's a phone call early on in the episode to Priscilla that she takes while Nick is there. We don't hear the other side of the conversation, but Priscilla's response is, I don't have enough information to confirm that right now, or I don't have that information available right now. I think that's Gravik calling to see if she's gotten the information to confirm is Gaia the scroll yeah. that has turned on his group. I think that's her answer to it. Um, it's just one one short answer and just leading into the conversation that she has later on in the episode. I think that's Gravik calling to, again, try and get somebody to tell him for definite, is it Gaia? Is Gaia the mole? Can he, can he kill her without his conscience being destroyed by killing yeah. someone that he's known for 25 years? That's what I took to. Hmm. It is a shame to see Priscilla so on the dark side, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Uh, like an ex scorned, I think that's where they're <laughs> they're trying to do what a woman scorned. I don't. I I think I don't know. I don't know about that, Chris. I, I I don't know about that. I think she feels like I know where she is. I know she's fallen on Gravik's side, and I know she's fallen on Gravik's side because, effectively, exactly as you say, Fury left her behind and chose not to come back. So she had to make out her own life. Yeah. I get that, but I think now that he is back, she feels quite reluctant in those moments when we hear her get the phone, or when she gets the message, picks up the safety deposit box key, goes and gets her, gets the gun from the safety deposit box. She seems quite reluctant to do those steps. And when she gets that phone call from the recognizable voice, as we mentioned in the synopsis, um, she wants to talk to Gravik to make sure that this is his plan, to make sure that she gets confirmation of what is actually happening. It doesn't feel like she is all gung-ho, and willing to go after Fury. It feels like she aligned herself with Gravik, and I think she's questioning it now that Fury's back. Yeah. I did... Shades of Grey, Chris. It's a spy show. Shades of Grey. I know. So I do wonder if that's not, that recognisable voice is actually the voice we think it is, Mm. and Fury's the one telling him what to say, so he's testing her. Interesting. Like, that's... that's where I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go, ooh, they're playing 4D chess. We're going here to mm-hmm. here to here to here. Like, it's going to get, like, I'm hoping it's building this somewhat simple kind of layers of kind of intricacy on spider web right now so that 
the final thread is pulled maybe on the, 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 the end of the fifth episode okay. or the beginning of the sixth and everything comes into light. Okay. Kind of that, no, she wasn't, she was sent to kid, like the reason the person on that phone is the person we think it is because Fury's telling what to say because yeah. that way then he's able to test her and she doesn't do it. So he knows she's on her, his side, blah, 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 blah. blah. Mm-hmm. That's again where I'm, and then we're, we're led to think Guy is dead now, so that when she pops back up in episode six, okay, uh, and she morphs from someone else, we think, we now know, like, it's again, like, it's that boom, 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 like, again, you said it's a spy show. Mm-hmm. Shades of Grey. That's Absolutely. what I'm hoping. Yeah. Otherwise, just having Priscilla, because she said it, she became the person she was before Fury, before coming to Earth. Mm-hmm. So she was, like, always for the scrolls. Yeah. So it's just, that's very plain. Not yeah. Plain story-wise, not just, <laughs> that's all I mean. It's just like, give give me give me a bit more, like, woman-scorned, okay. bale-fire type of approach. Yeah. Scorched Earth. But, but see, I don't, I don't think it's that. And, you know, there's, there's been this yeah. allusion to the fact that the scrolls were the reason why the war began with the Kree. It's not that the Kree went and chose to kill the Skrulls, it's that they fought and they lost the fight. Um, yes. That's that's what it feels like. So she does feel like what Priscilla's saying is, well, before Fury, before this this travel to Earth, before what we did here, um, I was one of those fighters. It would be what, yeah. what I think she's saying there. But but I do think she's reluctant since she saw Fury uh, back. She seems she seems reluctant. I also didn't mean to hide the fact that we think it's Rowdy on the phone. Sorry, that wasn't that wasn't my intention. Saying oh, okay. a recognizable I voice. To, I thought no, no. you wanted to hide it. <laughs> the big reveal. No, no, not at all. Uh, no, we think it's Rowdy. We think it's uh, it does. It's it's absolutely the voice of Rowdy on the phone um, there. But uh, that's an interesting theory that it could be uh, could be Fury using Rowdy. There's a, a, a mention earlier on the reason why he wants. Um, Talos to work with him again is because they have a le- he has a lead on someone high up in the U.S. government. Um, the U.S. representative they have on the council is a is a TV personality. He's like he works for FXN, the Fox yeah. News of uh, he's the Tucker Carlson. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, so he's not in the government. That's their representative. They have a very controlling. What's it? The fourth estate is that what they call it in the, yeah. the media in, in the U.S. Um, so. So they don't have somebody high up in the government, but Nick Fury has a lead on someone high up in the government. So he's suspecting. I don't know whether he says he doesn't make any connection that it's Rhodey, but it feels like that's the path that he's going on with Talos. So, uh, so maybe he has already gotten to Rhodey, and he's uh, he's making him make the phone call to test Priscilla. That's an interesting theory. I think I, I think I like the idea of it because I'm hoping Rhodey is Rhodey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still good. Yeah. Um, otherwise, then it's just again, it's everyone's bad. But again, I also like my idea that Rhodey's been away for the last few years and mm-hmm. Armor Wars, the reason we've been waiting for all the news about Armor Wars yeah. is because secretly they've been waiting for this to show that he's been a scroll and now he has come back and that's how, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. why they put off Armor Wars. Yeah. But there is also that little uh, little one that I did hear in one of the theories. Um, do you remember Rhodey, uh, after Civil War, um, broke his back and wasn't able to walk and now yeah. he has no problems with that, of course technology from stark tech you know which we don't have in our world now could be the reason for that but uh really seems pretty uh pretty good in his feet um yeah, could it be spray. could it be that a scroll replaced him um some point during his healing process and he's been uh he's been a scroll ever since uh, it's an interesting one um yeah. 
but does lead into our final point, as we always get into. Who do you trust? Who do you trust, Chris? We start with Rody there. Do we do we think Rody is a scroll? Do we think it's it's saying that? Will it be flipped on its head next week? I want it to be that it's flipped on its head and it's not okay. he's not really a scroll. But I've yet to yeah. be 100% that they're going to do this big elaborate 40 chess piece. So yeah. <laughs> right now, no. They're, right. they're setting it up that do not trust them. And I was thinking the same last week. I was exactly the same as you last week. I was like, ah, I hope they don't make Rowdy a scroll. But now I'm kind of going, I want somebody in the MCU to be yeah. a scroll. I want somebody that we know in the MCU to be a hidden scroll. And we haven't had one of those yet. And Rowdy is a great candidate for yeah. that. So I think so, uh, because yeah. the big thing about Secret Invasion, the comic books... Like, we found out some key significant heroes yeah. were scrolls all along. Yeah. Uh, and they but, they had been people of, like, repute. So that, mm-hmm. like, all of this stuff that we've seen, like, Mockingbird was one of the big ones where it turned out she'd been taken years ago. Spider-Woman had been taken years. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of the stuff from the last, like, five years of comic books, yeah. I can't remember the exact amount of time, was like, it was never them. Yeah. So the, when the heroes came back, they had lost this and like all these decisions and things they'd done weren't them. Exactly. So when you're talking about heroes here, the people, they can't be super scrolls. They can't have superpowers. They have to be humans. Starts to make sense of potentially who they could be when you yeah. start going, okay, Rhodey. Rhodey is a human in a suit. Mm-hmm. So you have to start thinking of those type of people. Yeah. Um, like, again, you can't do a Hawkeye. You can't do kind of people who have been enhanced. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's just your run-of-the-mill humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I'm hoping, and I do not trust Rhodey. Excellent. Excellent. Um, how about Guy? We've talked about her a little bit. Do we trust that Guy's dead? Do we trust that she's not dead? We're kind of saying that we hope she's alive, so we uh, we may not trust uh, may not trust her. But we no. we believe she's now. We know for definite she's on Fury and Talos' side. Exactly, Priscilla. Yeah, Priscilla. Uh, I think we've kind of talked about there. My feelings yeah. on Priscilla is I think she's trustworthy, but has aligned herself with yeah. Gravik since uh, since Nick went away. Good point about Priscilla. Let's talk about the last, the man, the myth, the legend, Taylor. <laughs> I thought that um, was Nick Fury a bit earlier on, Chris. Uh, okay. Uh, All right. He is. He is totally the man, the myth, the legend, or the scroll, the myth, the legend uh, yes. in this episode. Um, just want to call out now, like, you know, we, we've asked who do you trust every episode. We wonder whether uh, Talos is another double agent or something like that. I think I love this episode for really putting it firmly and clearly He's not on Gravik's side because he's with Nick Fury. Uh, that is just a great moment uh, where we have Talos confirming that the two of them are now the team that will be taking down Gravik. I thought it was a great moment. So, yes, I trust Talos. Excellent. I'm the same. I think that they, they've kind of cemented him firmly and where you where they, they're starting to give us the final rundown of who, who you can and can't until they whip that rug from under us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's move on to our defense. But before we do that, mm-hmm. any notes for this episode? Yeah, a couple of quick notes. Just a brief cameo of uh, of Sonia Fallsworth. I really yes. enjoyed the fact that she has the owl that Nick had bugged uh, in the first episode. <laughs> and uh, she puts an eye patch over it and is now calling it Nicholas Fury uh, as a little tribute to uh, to his spy uh, spy ability. I thought that was quite cool. Um, there's a little touch there of the person she was talking to in the footage that Fury had seen. Where he learnt about the uh, about the butcher shop 
Um, a little touch there that she thinks he might be a scroll. Thought that was quite interesting. So we'll see, we'll see a bit more of that, uh, as the, as the episodes go on. Um, loved, uh, another moment in the episode. Fury's response to him now being in retirement is since I never cared for golf, I may take, take up revenge. Uh, a little, uh, a little slag there, I guess, on Samuel L. Jackson, who, when he's filming, builds in, uh, golfing times, uh, throughout his, uh, throughout his weeks of filming. So he has to be close to a golf course and, uh, has to get a half day, uh, to go and play golf, um, when he's filming. So, uh, a nice little touch there. I suppose when you're Nicholas Fury slash Samuel Jackson, you can get away with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. He does it wherever he goes. That's, uh, that's his thing. And he always wants to play golf on his own because he doesn't want to watch anybody else play golf or anybody to talk to him <laughs> while he's playing golf, which I like as well. Ultimate grumpy old man. That's, that's our man. That's our man. Excellent stuff. So this leads us to the end of our episodes. But I must ask, Derek, do you defend Secret Invasion? Episode three betrayed or are you betrayed <laughs> i absolutely defend this episode this is fab i'm really loving this i love digging into it as well that's kind of the the fun of shows like this um it's following that idea of the who do you trust really well and um giving you some great moments with the characters that we've got here um uh, ben Mendelssohn was fantastic in all of his moments the moments between uh priscilla and fury were excellent as well and i think really graphic stepping up as the leader of this group and willing to do anything to have scorched earth and a planet for the scrolls. I thought was fantastic as well. Yeah. Uh, really great. And and again, you know, when you can read into what's happening with Talos and why he's so protective of his daughter, a person he's put into the situation, this really dangerous situation and what she's done in that situation to try and get information to him. Um, I think that's really interesting. Um, and now, of course, now sacrificing her or, or her being dead potentially, uh, in this episode, I think is a, a, a massive sacrifice that lonely, uh, propel Talos and, and Fury onto their next mission. Yeah. So that'll be really intriguing to see, uh, as the episodes go on. Chris, how about yourself? Do you defend the third episode of Secret Invasion Betrayed? I do. I, I really do. They, they, they have managed to subvert my expectations in the ways that I kind of, I expected it to kind of go a lot of single ways. And it is, as you've said, kind of use the term shades of gray. Mm. That's kind of what we're getting. I hope that they kind of lean further and further and further into this spy noir, mm. nothing's as it seems type of approach that they've kind of started to lean forward into. And I'm hoping it's kind of really takes advantage. They've got three hours, three more episodes that they have loads of time to really explore Fury, Talos and Gravik. Mm-hmm. Um, and then pull the rug back and give us Gaia and Maria Hill back at the last episode when all along Fury's big plan gets revealed. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's see. Let's really wait and see. Mm-hmm. I think it did no matter what I can say that this show will have impact on the MCU going forward. I have. And just wait and see what that impact is. So yes, I do defend this episode. Excellent stuff. Well, time to get over to the pub. I think it's time to go over to Burner's Tavern for our Secret Invasion pub quiz. The third question in our pub quiz. Uh, All you need to do, just get the answers to all six questions at the end of the series. Email us to feedback at TV Podcast Industries with those answers and you could be in with a chance of getting your hands on a Secret Invasion goodie bag, uh, including the five-issue limited series uh, Secret Invasion from Marvel from this year, starring 
Maria Hill and um, Nick Fury. Uh, a digital version of that will be on its way to the to the winner at the end of uh, of our pub quiz. The question for this episode is: How does Fury like his eggs in the morning? Mmm. Don't need to be eagle-eyed or owl-eyed to see this one. Well, there's a couple of options given, but I think Nick uh, does cement it. How does Fury like his eggs in the morning? Good stuff. Excellent. So, let's move on to the feedback for this episode. But before we do that, oh yes, it is time for you to support us over on Patreon.com because this episode of TV Podcast Industries is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including the one and only Wendy Eppers. Thank you so much, Wendy, for your support. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Wendy. Yes. If you want to be cool like Wendy, you can support us monthly for any amount over on patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries. It helps keeps the lights and mics on. Lights of our servers. Let's call it that. It's not actually the lights of our house because <laughs> that wouldn't work. Well, we need the lights of our servers because it blinks away mm-hmm. and you can hear our dulcet tones when you download us from that. Yes, yeah, so you can support us any monthly amount over on patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries or if you'd like to support us with a one-off donation and buy us a coffee. Buy Derek a coffee as he toils away in editing into the wee hours. You can pop on over to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI and buy him a coffee or a glass of wine, whichever you prefer. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. And thanks to everybody that's been supporting us over on Patreon. Good stuff. Uh, we are going to go into our feedback section. First up, we got an email in from Jolie Bradshaw who says, Hi, Derek, John, Chris, and all the defenders out there. I thought I would share something cool I noticed from watching episode two, Promises. When Graphic, played by Kingsley Benadir, spoke in the council meeting, he spoke with an accent all too familiar to me, being from Cardiff, Wales. I'd assumed Kingsley was Welsh, but watched an interview with him straight after the episode and heard he had an English accent. After a bit of research, by research I mean hitting a couple of questions into Google, I found out that Kingsley Benadir purposely played Gravick with a Butan Cardiff accent. Taken straight from a BBC article, Kingsley Benadir, who plays Gravick in Secret Evasion, told BuzzFeed he looked into Butan in Cardiff when developing the character. The actor said he learnt about Wales' first black head teacher, Betty Campbell, too. There's a mixed-race community in Butan, and I just thought it might be a nice way in. It's a large Caribbean community with a military history, too, so I started speaking to people from around there to figure out the character. Jolie says He's, his attention to detail on the character development of Gravik is in, already incredible, and we're just getting started. His accent is spot on, and I think it's such a cool nod to a small community with a huge soul being represented on the MCU stage. It's definitely immersed me in the show even further. I'm excited to get to the rest of, the, of it and debrief with you guys as per usual. And Chris, congratulations for your little one. Awesome news. Until next time, Jolie. Thanks so much, Jolie. Yeah. Kingsley is an amazing actor he's really like good I said, like this episode really you see that kind of his chops come out if you will mm-hmm. especially as you said with that whole piece about him going in and researching a character and basing the character accent from there yeah it's huge um i i am interested to see if they'll ever give us a good irish one um or any <laughs> that i can stand over we've got pagan who's an actual irish actor using his real accents chris i i said a good one it's a great Irish accent and a great Irish accent. It's a real Irish accent. Uh, yes, so at least we have an Irish accent in this show, fully representing uh, all of the countries uh, from Europe, I guess. <laughs> I will stand by. I want a good one. A good character and accent. Give me Banshee. 
All right, clients. all right. You mean you mean a goodie? You mean a good guy yes. as opposed to yes. a bad guy? I get you. Yes, I get you. Exactly. But great stuff, Jelly. Thanks so much for starting to get that article. It's it's really good uh, to hear what Kingsley Benadir had put into the character. It was interesting. He was at the panel um, that the the press panel um and it, it was quite difficult for him to talk about his character they couldn't spoil anything from the show so i think even the fact that he was the villain for the show he couldn't spoil so uh so interestingly he was quite quiet there but did talk about the fact that he didn't know why he had been picked for the role but marvel knew he was right for the role even before he did so i thought that was quite interesting so he did lots of research to develop the version of the gra- gravic character that he wanted to develop so very cool yes Thank you so much, Jody. We also have an email on this episode from Coffee and Vodka who had this to say. Greetings, fellow buddy cop defenders. You want to like every episode in a Fury-centric short series like this one. Big things did happen. The Talos graphic failed partly. Gaia dying. Talos killed a former ally. Mrs. Fury graphics gal now. And Rhodey's gone green. Lydia Coleman was her usual brilliant cameo itself, and the Fury Talos mini mission was fun as it was antagonistic and revealing. Despite all of this, it still fell kind of flat, mm. sort of like a bunch of events rushed in order to fit in a six episode format. What all this is basically demanding is a more extended showing, say around a 10 to 12 episode count. Here's to hoping they can turn it around. 3.5 Talos losses, absentee agents, and box glocks out of five. Peace and take care. Coffee and vodka. Oh, I'm totally with you, Coffee and Vodka. I want 10 to 12 episodes of this show. Um, <laughs> not for any of the reasons that you said. I just want more and more of the show. I want more and more Nick Fury. Yeah. <laughs> Again, at the moment, it is not confirmed that this is a limited series. Mm-hmm. It, it it's like we still could get Secret Invasion or Fury 2.0 or a Fury show, another six episode kind of confirmed. They enjoyed so so much scrolls, more scrolls, scrolls the were like Fury and the Howling Scrolls. Like <laughs> like we could get something in the future because there is some untitled projects still in the yeah. works. Only problem, they're not going to announce anything for the next couple of while because of the writer strike and potential actor strike um, in the future. So everything, anything that we potentially could have got in San Diego Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con, those are both gone. So, or at least Marvel will not be announcing things there. Yeah. um, As we, Marvel MCU, not Marvel Comics, comics are still announcing as far as more. Of course, yeah. Yeah. but we will, I think there's a potential. If this show does well enough, I think they might give us that. At least another episode. And then you get the 12. Combining season one, two, you get 12 episodes. There. Absolutely. But like, there's a million scrolls on Earth. You know, do you think the series is going to end with a million scrolls getting on a spaceship and leaving Earth? There I are all dying. There are still possibilities that we could get a different take on Secret Invasion for season two. Yeah, I like that. Um, and also, interestingly, the episode itself is the shortest one so far this season. The first two yeah. episodes were 52 and 55 minutes, and then this one was 42. So uh, quite a significant uh, difference in time, but it did fly past <laughs> as well. There is so much, as you detailed there, Coffee and Vodka, there's so much that went on in this episode, and it flew past as well. Uh, but yeah, I'd be up for spending more time with these characters. Uh, good stuff. Thanks, Coffee and Vodka. Over on Facebook, Victor Von Doom says, Greetings, Defenders. Gravik's plot to expose Gaia was diabolical. I suspect Gravik and Gaia are modified. Rhodey must be a scroll. He called Fury Nick near the end of their conversation. Priscilla must be on her way to meet Rhodey, but to what end? 
Going to need a scorecard to keep track of who's who and what side they're on. Looking forward to TVPI podcast and defenders feedback. Excelsior, Victor Von Doom. Is an interesting theory that I've been seeing around quite a lot. Uh, the conversation between Rody at some point in the conversation, Rody calls Fury Nick in the conversation, but it's right at the end, and the conversation is a good five minutes of screen time where um, Rody calls him Fury multiple times during the conversation. I don't think it's a trigger word. I don't think it tells you that someone is a scroll if they use the word Nick. Um, I don't think it's that, but that seems to be the theory. People are cutting out just the end of the conversation, the moment when he serves Nick his walking papers and calls him Nick at that moment. Uh, they're, they're calling that the reveal that he is a scroll. But other people have called him Nick. He knows his name is Nick Fury, and it feels like it would just be natural that at some point when you're talking to him, you call him Nick. I know there's the line from Fury where he says, nobody calls me uh, calls me Nick except my mother, but other people have called him Nick in the past. I'm sure they have. <laughs> so doesn't mean everybody that said the word Nick or called him Nick is a scroll. But I can see why why uh, why you'd think that. And the fact that Rowdy seems to be a scroll here might add credence to that theory but uh but he does call him fury multiple times during the same conversation and probably didn't get replaced by a scroll during the conversation that's all <laughs> good stuff thanks victor yeah thanks victor we also had some feedback from jeff childs who said the conversation between fury and talos was worth the price of admission mm-hmm. good to hear yeah no it, 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 we talked it to death and i agree yes we agree we also had some feedback from brandy elise anderson who had this to say this episode really didn't click for me as well as the first two episodes did. There are two points or scenes that really stick out to me, taking me out of the story and just had me not as interested in this episode. The first one is the scene in which Nick Fury is holding the gun to the teenager Zachary. This scene felt more like a paint-by-numbers type of scene mm-hmm. you would find in any spy drama but it doesn't work in the storyline that they're presenting, not only in this episode, but in this entire series. I could not get over the fact that it does not make sense for Scroll Bob to care if Nick Fury was going to kill Zack. Zack is a human and does not realise that his father has been replaced, so the Scroll doesn't have any emotional ties to Zachary. Even more than that, he is one on the team that is planning for mass genocide to eradicate all humans from Earth. So the idea of one human dying for his cause would not faze him. But even more than that, I don't understand why Nick Fury would expect it to. They know he's a scroll, as that's the whole reason they showed up there. Mm-hmm. So it makes me question why Fury would even perceive this as a threat. Yeah, this is the feedback I was talking about earlier on. Uh, I, I totally get what you mean, Brandy. Uh, it does seem like one of those odd moments. Um but it gives him pause. Again, it depends on how long he's been in place. That's my my reckoning of it. It depends on how long he's been in place. If he's been there for a couple of years and Zachary is maybe even Zachary might be his actual son. Um, yeah. you know, it could it could it could be. Um, but I don't think Zachary's a scroll, and I can see why it would be odd for Fury to think if I threaten this this other man's kid, the scroll will give up and, and stop uh, and stop doing what he's doing. He'll give up his password. Uh, yeah, but I think maybe that's uh, some reasoning for it. But I understand the reservation you have on that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, that's all the reasons from Derek says. I think we see why people have it. I, di- I didn't bump into this. Right. I suppose it's just because I kind of went with the flow. Um, the second issue that Brandy brought up is this. This brings me to my second issue in this episode. The spy work this episode was subpar. 
Graphic has all but sat Talos and Gaia down and said, I believe Gaia is a traitor who is spying for you, and I plan to prove she is sharing information. He actually points out she was one of only the few people who knew the location of the safe house, because they are not sharing information with everyone, and he makes her drive him to the meeting with her dad, and he just happens to have a conversation about their next planned attack in front of her, and no one else who she could have blamed for the information. And she doesn't question it. Then he tells Talos almost the same thing, though not as blatantly obvious. But he strongly hints that he's aware she's a spy and that her life is on the line because of it. Almost doesn't question maybe we shouldn't do this. I truly found myself hoping that Nick Fury and Talos would fail in their mission tonight so that Gravity could start to question if maybe he was wrong about Gaia. Mm. Yeah. Mm, I see, I understand what you mean about this, Brandy. I just didn't, for me, this was, again, I think we as the the audience are seeing more than the actual characters themselves are supposed to see. So we, we're not supposed to be understanding. A, a general Nick Fury or Talos or Gravik don't see the full context that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. So it's that kind of fly on the wall third person you you're mm. seeing as an audience way more. So the audience is seeing and understanding this, but the characters themselves are still trying to piece everything. So as Derek had said already early in the episode, Gravik wasn't a hundred percent. He mm-hmm. and he's holding until he's a hundred percent. Yeah, and I think it would have helped if we had maybe that. I don't want to believe that Gaia is the traitor because I've known her for this many years or something like that. If we saw a bit more of their relationship uh, over the course of the 30 years they've known each other, um, that might have helped in that moment as to why he wasn't willing to pull the trigger on her, let's say. Um, But yeah, the actual plan itself, we learn from him at the end, is it was a mole hunt. If he was wrong, he achieves a plan. If he's right, then... The plan doesn't go ahead, but he finds his mold. So, um, so I thought that was that was interesting that it, that it's not a definitive plan. It's a plan that would, if were if it worked, then great. If it didn't work, then um, he gets his mold. So, uh, so I thought that was interesting about about the plan. But I, yeah, I I see what you mean. It's a it's a, a it's odd that he that he's so antagonistic with Talos. But I think that's more to do with their relationship. But I feel like he hasn't pulled the trigger on Gaia because he has his own friendship or his own uh, relationship with her for over 30 years. So Yeah, no, uh, that, and that is the, the, the crux of this. Um, Brandy closed her feedback by saying, and I'm sorry, Derek, but this episode has me really wondering if Talos was right. And does Nick Fury owe his reputation to being this world-class spy to all the scrolls? But scrolls who can actually blend in, which Talos can't do since he's on the outs now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm more with Derek. Sorry, Randy. I, mm. Like I I had my thoughts. I, we we've discussed it, and I want to see what. Now you've heard our discussions. Let us know. Like, are you still this? Do you still think Talos is right, mm-hmm. or is there more to Fury? Ah, there's got to be more to Fury. There's got to be more to Fury. Come on, Nick. Come on, Nick. <laughs> Thanks so much for that, Brandy. That's some really, really interesting thoughts. Uh, also, we got some feedback in from Brandy Cregan, who said, After watching episode three, I'm all but certain that Rhodey is a scroll. In this episode, Fury tells Talos that he needs help to stop a high-level person within the US government. This person has to be Rhodey. Also, in episode two, Rhodey calls Fury Nick. And we all know that 
that no one calls Fury Nick. Uh, this u- has usually been an indication that a person has been a scroll in the past. Hmm, interestingly, and they did call it out in this episode, didn't they? That, uh, um, on the phone call that Bob made trying to impersonate, um, Talos, he calls Nick, Nick there, doesn't he? So, yeah. uh, so that is, it is called out this episode. I get it. But as I said earlier on, I don't think anybody calling Nick Fury Nick, um, means they're a scroll. Uh, but anyway, uh, Brandon Cregan continues saying, if you listen to the phone call at the very end of the episode of Fury's wife, the voice on the other end sounds a lot like Rhodey. And the conversation implies that the person on the other end is associated with Gravik. I'm not sure his wife is totally against him, but it's hard to tell because we don't know much about her yet. Even though we saw Gaia get shot at the end of the episode, I do not believe she's dead. She's too important of a character to this show to be dead already. Earlier in the episode, we saw that Gravik clearly used the machine we saw in episode two to make himself into a super scroll as he self-healed from being stabbed by Talos. I bet Gaia somehow did the same, and we will see her later in the season that she is alive and well. We didn't see her bleed out like we have with others on the show. Yeah, good point. Good point. I think mm-hmm. we're on, on the same side as you. Uh, lastly, the chemistry between Fury and Talos is priceless. They fight like an old married couple and it works so well. I've read theories out there that suggest there may be two Furies, as we often see him with and without glasses in multiple scenes. The theory suggests that when he's wearing glasses, he's the real Fury. But when he's not wearing glasses, he may be the wife of Talos that we already think is dead but we still have not heard actually how she supposedly died. This is a spy thriller after all, so anything is on the table and is possible. I'm really liking the show so far. Thanks, Brendan. I actually hadn't heard that theory. Um, that, that uh, Teros's <laughs> wife and Gaia's mother. Um, I like it. It's, I, I, I like it, but I, I don't think it's the case. I think, if anything, she'll turn out to be someone in the background, one of the doctors or something in the final scene where... Right. Like, if she is alive, I hope that they use Talos' wife's death as a kind of a, a crux bit later, where it further pushes him over the edge when mm-hmm. he finds out how Gravik killed her, or that turns out she's not actually dead and she's working for Gravik. Yeah. Something more, um, because again, emotionally, he's about to be destroyed when he finds out a guy's death. Well, absolutely. And isn't it odd that Talos went toe-to-toe to Gravik? in this episode and no mention of his wife. Yeah. I didn't think about that either. You know? So that's, that's quite interesting that he didn't mention that he called it out to Gaia said that she died because of Gravik, but didn't, uh, didn't mention it in the conversation there. Uh, yeah. It's an interesting theory about the glasses. I know in episode one, everybody was wearing glasses because they had the technology inside them to try and find the scrolls, right? They were trying to track the bags yeah. uh, in episode one, but I know, uh, I, I have seen those images cut out saying, is this, Scroll Fury or not Scroll Fury, uh, or Maria Hill, because uh, she was uh, wearing glasses before she died and then not wearing them when she did die. Um, but she was wearing the glasses to track the bags. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. They're all they're all theories. Everything's on the table, exactly as I said, Brandon. Uh, thanks so much for all the feedback that we got in uh, for this episode. Keep sending your feedback into feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or please pop over to the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries where you can pop your thoughts on the spoiler post or chat with other defenders over there about their thoughts on the episodes. Got a couple more bits of feedback in uh, after we'd finished recording, so I'm going to uh, go through them here. First up, Dr. Bob Phillips says, So, what the hell? Gaia isn't a baddie but might be dead? Gravelick would risk oblivion to find the mole in his gated garden? Nicholas Fury's wife is a spy agent dull-crossing do-batter? Talos is actually an angel? There was a meal served at the bar in an English pub? And the least believable bit was the trip to Portsmouth without a single roadwork? 
next week out comes soon enough. <laughs> I love it, Dr. Bob. Uh, especially, yeah, somebody eating a meal at the bar in an English pub. Total no-no. Uh, you eat uh, at a table away from the bar, don't you? Uh, great stuff. I uh, haven't actually had a trip to Portsmouth, um, so I don't know, uh, but I presume there's lots of motor- motorway roadworks uh, going on. Good stuff. Glad you're enjoying it as well, Dr. Bob. Uh, and finally, Brandy Elise Anderson. Interestingly, Chris was asking what her thoughts were after listening to the podcast. Obviously, you haven't listened to the podcast, Brandy, but she did say she watched the episode again. And she says, I did enjoy the episode much more upon rewatch. The issues I have still stand, but I think that second viewing, they didn't distract me from what I did like about the episode. Ben Mendelsohn and Samuel L. Jackson are killing it in this series. And while last week in their scenes together, I found Samuel L. Jackson more compelling. This week, it was Ben Mendelsohn stealing the scenes. I have to say, the show is so well acted, and I really enjoy the dialogue. Oh, and I forgot to mention earlier that I'm really sure that was Rose on the phone at the end with Fury's wife, but I still don't believe he is a scroll. I think this is all a way to get Fury off the radar to do his thing. Love it, Brandy. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's similar to what uh, what Chris was saying as well. It's quite cool um, that you're aligned on that. Yeah, I hadn't even thought that that could be a possibility. I just was going, oh, this is confirmation that Rhodey is a scroll. But uh, yeah, could be could be uh, working with Fury to get him off uh, off the table. Good stuff. Excellent. Thanks for that extra bit of feedback. Uh, we'll be back next week. Keep sending it in. Yes. Thank you so much to everyone for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe, as Derek said, to tvpodcastindustry.com. And we'll be back with the next episode, the next final half of Secret Invasion, next week, episode four. It's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from Derek. And a goodbye from John, if he is still John and not a little green man or slash girl. (laughs) You'll only find out next week. Or on the Witcher podcast, which is also coming up on TV Podcast Industries. Yes, next week on the Witcher. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. But until then, keep watching, keep listening, and be careful who you trust. Bye. Priscilla. I can hear you. What do you want? Meow, 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 meow. You're very loud. <laughs> you can sleep all day and you want to go out now. <laughs> I know. I heard you. Would you mind if I just let him out the back door? Go, go, go. Do you mind? Just two seconds promise and then we'll just come back and wrap this yep. up. Oh, I know. I know.